You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Barallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Alex Varallo will not be with us again tonight, as we've been uh, letting you know. He's he's working through some uh, some work schedule stuff, and we're hoping to have him back soon. But we are very happy in the meantime to have Dylan Terman joining us once again to talk about, surprise, surprise, another New York Jets loss. Uh, this is kind of the way it's going to go for the rest of the season, at least in my opinion. Uh, this is probably an 0-16 team, barring, uh, barring something catastrophic for an opponent. And uh, it was another loss for the Jets this weekend, 18-10 to the Bills. Um, uh, unlike the other losses, though, Dylan, uh, one or two positives came out of this game. But let's start with the big story this week, which was that head coach Adam Gase finally gave up play-calling duties. And this is the type of thing where – we don't know if it was done voluntarily or if ownership or if Joe Douglas spoke to ownership. If someone, And the reason I say this, Dylan, Adam Gase has such an insanely massive ego. I have a hard time believing he stepped aside and let someone else call the plays for his offense. But Dowell Logan steps in. He was a rock star for about 90 seconds. And then he looked a lot like Adam Gase's offense. Uh, how are you doing, Dylan? And what are your thoughts? Um, I'm doing well, Glenn. Thank you. But uh, you come out of this game with a, a bit of a mix of emotions. I mean, he, I personally don't think Gates gave up the play calling voluntarily uh, throughout the week in the press conferences. It didn't sound like there was a definitive decision made. So um, who knows exactly when that decision was made, if it was even handed down to Gates. Um, but I think as far as the game goes, yeah, for the first three drives, this actually look like an NFL team. And then you revert back to everything that was wrong with us the first six games. And it leaves you scratching your head. Like, do we have something to contend with in the future with a handful of these players? I know you put that article out of players that we should keep for the future, which mostly I agree with. And then there's some plays and some mistakes that are just like, this is not an offense or a defense, quite frankly, you want to field on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it was like I said, a couple of nice moments early on. Uh, you know, there were some things I saw that I liked. I actually almost commented and said, um, I almost said, I think I did actually, I think I tweeted out, um, give credit where it's due, good first drive. Um, and literally seconds later, someone tweeted me or replied, um, and said Gase isn't calling plays today. And then I scrolled up and saw the Bleacher Report had tweeted out. Um, I think Costello broke it. I'm not sure. Um, but either way, Gase isn't calling plays. Logan's was. And we saw a little bit more balance. We saw some, you know, a lot of bunch formations, a lot of sort of, you know, trips left, trips right. Uh, not as much motion as I would have liked. We did see Sam throwing on the run, some rollouts. So some of the things that have been missing – and funny enough, you know, again, lo and behold, uh, just minutes or seconds after saying that Adam Gates deserved credit for a good first series, uh, turns out he wasn't the one calling the plays. And listen, Logan's didn't do a terrible job. Um, one thing he did, and I, and I commented on this during the game, and it was to me, this was the biggest difference. This, if you had to say to me, what's one play? that jumps out where, where if you didn't know that Adam Gase had given up play calling, where you would have started asking if Adam Gase had given up play calling was when the Jets converted on third and long on third and 20 with a 22, 23 yard completion of Braxton Berrios toward the left sideline that if Adam Gase is calling the plays is 100% a draw or a screen like that, or maybe you yep. know, a, a run up the middle, maybe not a draw. But it's going to be a run up the gut for a real first down. The fact that he he went for it was like, oh my god! And as and how pathetic is this? Because this is what the Jets do. That was it. 
No other throws beyond 20 yards for the rest of the day. Now, I get it. In the second half, the pass blocking was a complete disaster. I mean, I had, mm-hmm. somebody told me on Twitter, that's on Sam. He's not making the checks. He's not, he's not, you know, sliding protections. Dude, when you got eight guys breaking through, do you think it matters if everyone is a step and a half to the left or a step and a half to the right? Like, it is a jailbreak on every – I don't I had someone tell me today, uh, Sam Darnold had plenty of time in the second half. Stop making excuses. Like, uh, plenty of time for what? And I'm not making excuses. Darnold was – Darnold made – I mean, you can't even say a rookie throw. That interception was disgusting. There's no defense yep. for it. I None. have the game on in the background, and I actually just got to that play. I have it paused, and yeah, it's uh, it's it was bad. Well, the three guys in the area. Caliber stuff. Yeah, rookie caliber stuff, and it was an undrafted free agent corner that picked him. So just it's all yeah. around. I, I mean, mean, not all around bad by Darnold, but it's just. There was flashes, like that third down pass to Barrios, I believe, might have been Darnold's best inside-the-pocket throw in his career. He's known for the, you know, off-script, out-of-the-pocket plays, but that might have been his best in-the-pocket throw we've seen from him in quite a while. But then, you, like you said, that was it. No more downfield, no more extending the, the – using the full width of the field even. It was just simple throws and a lot of misreads on those first drives too. I know everything – came away looking good, 10 points in three drives. But there was still a couple misreads as well where he had people open. Yep. Um, I had it marked on the third and four. We were out there, the Bills 11-yard line, and Mims was wide open from, the, from basically the snap. And Darnold looked his way, had five seconds to throw it, and then threw it late, and it was an incomplete. We ended up kicking a field goal. But I actually, like that, I, it was just <clears> – <throat> I've been I've started the all twenty two a little while ago. I'm only through the first quarter because it takes forever because you rewind oh, yeah. and rewatch and rewind and rewatch. So I only yeah, got through the first quarter, but eleven times. Yep. It, yeah, if you look at that play again, I I felt like from the snap he was looking at Berrios. Berrios was covered, but the second Sam starts yep. to roll left, every everybody in Berrios's area starts to run toward toward uh, Mims toward the top of the screen, and Berrios mm-hmm. is also. He's, I, now, granted, Donald would have had to set and turn. It would have been a, a little bit tough. But, I mean, he would have had as much room as you'll ever see in an NFL football game. The window was – I mean, there were no defenders around Berrios. He had his arm up. He's None. waving his arm. Donald by then had come off Berrios and was looking left toward Mims. He waited too long on that. Uh, side note, not to make it personal about Sam Darnold, but damn it, I took Mims to score the first touchdown of the game at 33-1. to 1. If he makes that throw, I would have been a very happy man. Um, did not happen. Uh, so yep. Darnold, yep. Darnold couldn't pull the trigger. He, he stayed on Berrios, and the second he came off, Berrios was wide open, and he, he just waited too long on the Mims throw. So bad job by him there. He, listen, he made some bad throws, and it's, it's, we keep saying it, but it, it's definitely time to say is you know is it a, is his departure inevitable? I think it is. I, however, would like to see this would like to see this team. I would hang on to him and I would showcase him in the preseason next year when you might increase his value. Because listen, right now you might you might get a two for him. You might, but if you yeah, keep him, might. if you're bringing a competent coordinator, a competent head coach. And be upfront with Darnold. Say, look, Sam, um, you're not a quarterback anymore. Trevor Lawrence is a quarterback, but let's help each other out here. We want you to play great so that you can get, you know, go to a team and, and, and you know, demand a huge contract after this season. Um, and we want a premium draft pick or multiple premium draft picks. So get your nose in the playbook. Learn the offense. We're going to you, give you a ton of reps in the preseason. And if you play, you know, the way that, we expected you to when you were drafted, then we can command a couple first round picks. And even if he, you know, you, you could say, well, why would you trade him at that point? Cause he just took Trevor Lawrence one overall, which is what's probably going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. No matter what happens, you know, you, you got to move on from Darnold. If you, you know, if you do take Lawrence at one. So I don't, you know, I, I don't think that uh, trading him now where his, his value is probably not going to be lower. You, you know, why trade him at the floor? Um, I, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm gambling a little too much, but I would rather roll the dice and say, we're going to hang on to him. We're going to stick with him through the off season. And someone said to me the other day, Oh, but that doesn't get us a pick this year. I don't care. Would I rather a two this year or two ones than the following year? 
Like exactly. That, that, that makes no sense to me. So Sometimes that's a uh, bigger picture. Yeah. Which yeah. not to get off track here, Dylan, because this is something we were, I was going to touch on during the show. But since you said that, the, this thought popped in my mind that I said this earlier. All these people, the trade Jamison Crowder people, can we? Can people start looking more than ten minutes into the future and stop yep. needing instant gratification for every single thing? Oh well, well Crowder's having a great year, but it's going to waste because we're going to go own sixteen. Okay, so should we not keep the one good receiver we have for the young quarterback that we're expecting them to draft? Like, what what is the point? And I get that he makes ten million. And I get you can save $10 million to cut him or trade him. I would, I would even say that's not a terrible idea you're hurting for cap space. The Jets are going to have like a billion dollars in cap space. If they cut exactly, all, the, yeah. all the guys who are, who are underperforming, you're going to save another $40, $50 million on top of what they're already projected to have, which is sort of $60, $70. They're going to have over $100 million in cap space. You can afford to keep a guy and Crowder who's making $10 million. So yep. you keep him. Rosters that, yep, sorry. Rosters that continue to make moves like that, where you get rid of your top three, top two, top one player on the offensive side of the ball, that's how you stay bad for multiple years. And I'm not saying a trade of Jamison Crowder would set the team back, you know, years per se. But if you trade the best thing that is helping Darnold that will bring you back the draft picks that you so want for your quarterback – you need them both on the field as much as possible together making plays. And sure, Mims look good. Perriman has flashed. But if you don't have that guy that you have the most chemistry with, Darnold then has to start from square one, essentially, again, trying to bring you back trade value. And it just doesn't seem to work that way. So we, we would lose more value on Darnold by trading Crowder now, I believe. And we are already have six days till the deadline, seven days till the deadline to trade anybody. So at this point, unless we're blown away with offers, I don't say we move many pieces anymore. And now what, what, what are your thoughts? So I've told you what I think on Darnold. I think his, his departure is inevitable. Uh, not necessarily this year. But, and we, we may have covered this before, but it seems like as, as his play gets worse, the discussion keeps resurfacing. Uh, what, when, when do you trade him? You've heard what I think. I say keep him, see if you can showcase him. He lights it up in the preseason. You might get a couple of ones. Do you say trade him now just to get something while you can? Or do you say trade him in the offseason when you know you've got the first pick to replace him with Trevor Lawrence? Or do you say, you know what I'm saying, keep him, showcase him, try to maximize value? I think it's not the answer to trade him before the deadline this year. Absolutely not. There should be a 0% chance of that. One, his performance alone has not garnered any type of attention from other teams to say, hey, this is the guy that we need to go and spend draft capital to acquire. They're just going to wait until the Jets are done and possibly get a new rookie like we're expecting. But also at the same time, I agree with you to keep him until the preseason but I think the best time to trade him would possibly be draft night only because we could possibly package a lot of our first two uh, day two picks with Darnold to possibly bring back a one or, you know, early, early two. Cause it, you know, as it looks, we might have one and 33, which 33 is a highly coveted pick almost every single draft. So I would see, you know, Joe Douglas possibly moving that pick, but I think, draft night the most capital for him as opposed to maybe a preseason only because teams are antsy they see how their board is falling and they say hey if we can move a piece for Darnold here we don't have to reach for a quarterback in round two or three and we can go acquire a real position of need so I don't absolutely not trade him this season let him play hopefully he doesn't get hurt and see what happens as the chips fall in the off season. And if he's on the team come August, do as much as you can in the preseason to get back what you want for him. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, that's um, one thing you just said, and, and we'll, we'll touch on this as we get closer to the draft, but that was one of the thoughts I had the other day. As, as you watch the Seahawks, you have to figure that pick is going to be no higher than 29 the way they're playing. Um, mm-hmm. 
but that that the Jets kind of have or could have because of that Seahawks deal. They could have three of the most valuable picks in the draft if you look at history. Um, of course, pick one. And then if you're at 29, 30, 31, we see it every year. Well, I shouldn't say we see it every year. We see it frequently. Teams often want to jump in to the bottom of the first round to grab a second first rounder to have that player that they'll have that, that 50-year option on. Um, Absolutely. Rather, you know, even if you're sitting at pick three in the second round, and you're thinking, damn, we really like this next, you know, we really like this guy. We can get him here at three, but we'll only have him for four years. Is it worth giving up a, a, a you know, fourth or fifth rounder to move up four spots, five spots to get him now and get that fifth year? So the Jets could have that pick or that could present an opportunity. And then, as you said, that pick at the top of round two years past, and I've heard, you know, former executives talk about this. This is what happens on draft night. The first round wraps up. You get back to your hotel room, you, you, you huddle with your, your front office guys, your scouts and your, your, your GM, and you say, oh, man, we, you know, we had this guy, you know, player X. We were sure he was going to go in the first round. We can't believe he's still sitting there. What great value he would be with the first pick in round two. If you remember years ago, the Giants did this with Landon Collins. That's how they landed him. And you just say, you know what, we're sitting at 11 in round two. Let's give up a couple of picks so we can move up to that first pick in round two and, and grab that guy who we didn't think was going to fall. So the Jets could be in position. I think Joe Douglas is going to – we're going to see deals. Um, I think he's going to want to come out of this draft with 13, 14, 15 picks because they just they, – they, let's face it, they need 45 picks, and they don't have that. Yep. Um, but, but, but they could use a ton. But I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, that the value of that pick, Dylan, because I, I may can't even remember if I tweeted it the other day, but it, I was sitting there and I was looking at the Seahawks record. I thought, oh, that's, that's a good spot to be in because teams often look you, – you remember the, that's how the Ravens got uh, Lamar Jackson, by trading back up in the yep, bottom of the first round. Yeah, they traded up at 32. Yeah. The Packers just and did it last year with that. Jordan Love. And that's how yep. the Jets got uh, Nick Mangold, wasn't it? Uh, they jumped up – or was it Dustin Keller? One of those two, the Jets traded back up into round one to grab. Yeah, the Mangold pick they already had from the Falcons. Uh, I believe they mm-hmm. traded back into round one to get Keller. But that's what teams do. They look to move up to the bottom yeah. of round one, or when round one wraps up, they see a couple names that they can't believe are still on the board, and they want to move up and grab that guy with the first pick in round two. So the Jets could be yeah. in a good or, spot. Um, or realistically, if you kept the 33rd pick, I mean, just last year alone, the Bengals selected Joe Burrow and then at 33 took T Higgins. And right now that combination has paid dividends for Cincinnati. I think T Higgins has three or four touchdowns already. So they're, they're looking good. So, I mean, the Jets could ultimately keep the pick, you know, trade out of the first round, keep 33. If that's the pick that we own, you know, maybe have 33 and 35 potentially. Right. And then we have two very good high second round players. And I think, a few, I mean, I think it was maybe even a month or two after Joe Douglas took the job, his, his one thing he kept saying was he wanted to give the team options. And I think having those three picks that we just mentioned will give him all the options in the world to do whatever he needs to do with this roster to turn it around. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's the thing is he's going to have to hit on these picks. You know, he's, he's going to have to have a couple of really good drafts. Um, which which brings us to uh, one topic, and we're we're not going to go. I don't want to go super in depth, Dylan, on the on the rookies and how they played this mm-hmm. week because uh, it's one game, you know. Especially when you're talking about Mims, um, P. Ryan. This is the most extensive action he's had. But uh, let, let's touch briefly. What what did you think of Denzel Mims? What do you think of P. Ryan? First game he see, he saw ten carries, and uh, Makai Becton, of course, made his return. How did you feel about that? And um, well, actually, we'll, we'll touch on some of the other rookies who haven't seen the field once we're done with this. Well, first off, Mims, I was very excited. Um, I think every Jets fan has been long awaiting his return to the roster. And in the off season, I kind of uh, dabbled into the um, trading cards a little bit. And Denzel Mims was one of the rookie cards that I bought. So I have his autographed rookie card. So I'm hoping he balls out to bring me back some, uh, some return on my investment. But um, I think what he did in the first half, obviously, with all his production, four for 42. But I, I think he has the potential to be a number one wide receiver. And I, I think more so than just his ability, 
every single time there was a good explosive run, he was leading the blocks. The touchdown with Pirine, the explosive run with Pirine, all of it. He's just a block machine. He it's it's uh, it's something we haven't seen really. I mean, you look at the receivers we've had on the outside, maybe Robbie Anderson or or somebody as as as, uh, as like him, but uh, Mims is one of the best blockers I've seen at the wide receiver position, and especially for a rookie. And then uh, Piran, I mean, you saw the burst on the edge on his touchdown. He got to the edge real nice. The blocking wasn't that sound outside of Mims. I think Griffin and Fant were the lead blockers there, but it was mostly his burst. And same with the 20-yard run. Mekhi Becton was the lead blocker. He found the hole. He made the hole big, but Mekhi didn't touch anybody on the run until Piran had been two yards past him. So I, I think you got to like some of the flashes Piran's shown. He had a couple passes that looked nice out of the backfield, but all in all, I think these three, Becton, Mims, and Pirine, these are these are hits for Joe Douglas. And um, a lot of fans have been questioning this draft class, wondering who some of these rookies even are that haven't seen the field yet. But the ones that have seen the field, especially on the offense, have looked very good. Yeah, I think you have to be. Uh, I think you have to be pleased. Uh, like you said, you know, the, the wide receiver blocking is something that doesn't get enough. Uh, enough attention. I mean, first and foremost, you want a receiver to be able to make plays, you know what I mean? Obviously, but it's that sort of that icing on the cake when, when you see a guy throwing blocks the way, <clears throat> excuse me, when you see a guy blocking the way Denzel Mims was P Ryan, listen, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go over it again, you know, at length, but I didn't like the pick. I didn't want a running back there. I wanted a receiver. It doesn't mean I don't think he can be a good yep. player. I think he can. Um, I just wish it was a receiver in that spot or a lineman. Um, but it, either way, he looked all right. He doesn't look smooth catching the football, in my opinion. But uh, he did have one or two receptions. And let's face it, again, the offensive line was just so bad. It was so bad. And and that's what brings me, as I said, the, the next thing we were going to cover. Uh, excuse me, the next thing we were going to cover, the potential return. I shouldn't say return, but the, the potential debuts for Cam Clark and Jabari Zuniga. What um, I don't know, I don't know how in the world the Jets could possibly, if Alex Lewis can't play, you can't put Josh Andrews out there again. He was a complete disaster. He, uh, oh, no. he gave up a ton of pressures. Run blocking honestly wasn't that bad, uh, at least from what I've seen early on. Uh, I've, I'm through a little over a quarter, and he looked not great, but he, he wasn't disastrous. Pass protection uh, didn't. Uh, I'm curious to get to the second the second half of this game. Uh, but from from just watching on TV, he looked terrible. All 22 will tell us a little bit more, but he looked terrible on the live broadcast. I was afraid that would be the case. I, you know, I, a million people said that you should have kept Jonathan Harrison around. Listen, Jonathan Harrison is an Alan Fanica. He's not going to the, 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 the uh, Hall of Fame. I get that. But when you have mm-hmm. a serviceable, ba- serviceable backup in the NFL on the O-line, you let those guys hang around because they're hard to find. And uh, Josh Andrews was a complete train wreck. So that brings us to Cam Clark. Um, if, if he is healthy and ready to go, you can't send Andrews back out there. I hope it's Clark. Maybe they go McDermott. Maybe they do something strange. Um, but it, it can't be Andrews again. If, if you're the Jets, do you get Cam Clark out there? And, and how soon do you get Jabari Zuniga on the field once he's ready to go? Uh, I think Jabari, his he's scheduled to come off IR at the deadline is next week, I believe. I think we said last week the fifth or the sixth is when he that's the latest he can come back. But I know Cam Clark is tomorrow. They have to at least get him back out to practice. So if he's healthy enough, by all means, put him out. Cannot go because yeah, I've only watched about a, a quarter and a half, just like you. I'm at the Darnold interception in the first half, so <clears throat> maybe a little bit farther through the second quarter. But um, it, it was bad. I mean, there were, there were plays. He just looked lost. He was going head up with defenders. And sometimes there were a linebacker and he was getting pushed back. He couldn't contain. A lot of the tacklers came from his way, whether he was getting a hand on them or not. Um, so, yeah, I think if, if you have to get a little 
weird at that position. If Lewis can't go and for some reason Cam Clark isn't healthy, I mean, you can't put Andrews out there. I tweeted about McDermott possibly going out there. I mean, maybe you even kick a Doga inside and try it out. It's just it's hard to, after what we saw Sunday, to clarify or to justify putting him back on the field again and potentially putting Darnold in extreme risk because, yeah, every pressure was almost from his side. Yeah, and and speaking of what we saw on Sunday, um, I want to talk about the defensive line a little bit because let listen, let's let's not lose sight of the fact that this is a game where the Jets kind of did something right in that. Yes, they lost the football game, but they didn't give up thirty five points. They didn't give up forty points. They didn't give up a ton of touchdowns. It was a little bend don't break on defense. They did bend a little too much in that they, they kept letting the ball get marched down the field. But they kept the Bills out of the end zone, six field goals. And a big reason for that was the play of uh, Quinn and Williams on the inside. And Bryce Huff a little bit on the outside. But John Franklin Myers, another one. I, I, I looked at the numbers earlier. Franklin Myers and Quinn and Williams combined for 10 pressures. Quinn had a sack, three quarterback hits. I saw at least a couple pressures from Franklin Myers. I think these two guys, Williams and Franklin Myers, could be a little bit special on the inside. Uh, Franklin Myers shows really good, just aggressive, violent hands. He looks like a handful. Uh, A lot of guys have struggled with him. Both guys, you know, neither guys have played as many reps as you might expect. But when I watch these two guys, they're like that sort of, when you're, I mean, look, this team is 0-7 going on 0-16. You're grasping at straws at this point to find something to be encouraged about. Well, that was what I was encouraged by this weekend. Williams, Franklin Myers, and on the edge, having Hall or Huff come off the edge. And he's a guy that I think, you know, he had that great play on the end of the round that he sniffed out and got the big tackle for loss. Um, we've seen him get some pressures. He hasn't been as bad in pass coverage as I expected him to be. So not uh, – not all that bad with those two guys. And even Henry Anderson showed up a little bit. Henry Anderson had a couple of plays where you were like, okay, it's not a, not a bad thing that he's on the roster right now. Um, nothing fantastic, but listen, Henry Anderson is generally invisible or bad. Um, he was at least, he made a couple of plays, but, um, and, and unfortunately, I'm sure, you know, uh, Kyle Phillips lost for the year with a broken ankle. That was terrible. That was even somewhat evident on the all 22. Like that's how, that's how much that ankle snapped. I was able to pick that out on the All-22. But um, what are your thoughts? These, some of these interior linemen, have, and of course we know about Foley Fadakasi, but right now it's, it's, the, the, it's the other two guys in the middle that have me most excited, uh, Franklin Myers and Quentin Williams. Yeah, so uh, forgive me if my dog is barking in the background. My wife just got home. But, um, yeah, Quentin Williams and Jonathan Franklin Myers are the, the bright spots that – as a Jets fan in an 0-7 season that you can cling to because the combination of those two on defense, it, it's, it's flashing. It's looking really good, um, particularly on that strip sack um, where Basham strip sacked Josh Allen. It was the four, down, or the four defensive linemen that, that I wanted. I said last week I wanted to see a combination of Huff, Williams, Franklin Myers, and Basham, and that's exactly what they did, and they got the strip sack on Josh Allen. Um, Franklin Myers, I mean, he came from uh, St. Louis or Los Angeles. He came from the Rams where he played alongside Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue and Michael Brockers. So, I mean, you're loaded with tons of mentorship there where they're going to teach you uh, the ins and outs of the position. So he, he's actually one of the, the, the main bright spots on the defense, not just the defensive line, but the entire defense. Him and Quinn and Williams together are just – a tandem you don't want to break up. So um, as far as the, the Quinn and trades go, I hope it doesn't happen because this just looks nice. And Huff off the edge, he made some plays. His tackle for loss made it into one of my top plays in the recap. And I think it was Michael Nanya tweeted out, he's one of the first Jets defensive players ever with a sack, a tackle for loss, and three passes defensed in his first five games, which, I mean, that's, that's something we don't have on defense ever and not to say he's anything like uh you know a john abraham type or anything like that but 
I mean, he's something. As an undrafted guy, this is this is what you like to see. And he probably should have been drafted at this rate. Yeah, I mean, look, there were a lot of people, um, I know myself included, who thought he would be a day three pick. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so the fact that he wasn't, you know, I was I, he was one of the guys that, uh, you know, was really glad to see the Jets, the, the, you know, that the Jets grabbed him. And he's he's impressed so far. And like I said, he's, uh, you know, I, most of what I watched in, 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 in his time in college, looked watched a lot of him rushing the passer and didn't didn't really pay much attention to his coverage skills because I'm looking at him as a, a late day three potential pick who will be used as a situational pass rusher, rusher exclusively. Um, but I, I've come away impressed this year with his ability and coverage. He has not a ton of it, but what he has done, he's looked better than I expected. So that's it's an encouraging sign. It's an encouraging sign. Like you said, undrafted guy. You just want them to come in, do a few things that you look at and say, okay, this guy can play at this level, um, you know, how good he'll be. You know, who the hell knows? It's way too early to try to anticipate anything like that. But when you've been as as terrible as, as the Jets have for, for a decade now at finding pass rushers, if you find a guy who can who can pick up a few sacks off the edge on the cheap as an undrafted player, um, you're happy to take it because, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's just been it's been terrible out there for the Jets for for quite some time now. Um but that um... absolutely, and I mean, I I think you alluded to it in your article that you put out today about the future players, and said that he needs to start taking reps from Jordan Jenkins, and that's not to say Jordan Jenkins needs to be benched, you know, indefinitely. Right. But right, that that snap count and that snap percentage needs to fluctuate a little bit more towards Huff because that's where the production's coming from. And I believe Gay said in the the phone conference he had yesterday with the media that. Uh, Jenkins does have a rib injury. I don't know how severe it is. I'm pretty sure it's not that bad. So we'll see. I mean, I think it's yeah, an I, opportunity for him to put his foot in the door and keep prying away and making it open until, you know, we have no choice but to field him the majority of the snaps. Yeah, and listen, I, I, I like Jordan Jenkins. I probably defend him more than most people do. Um, I You know, I, I realize he's an imperfect player, but he plays hard. He, you know – what do you have, seven, eight sacks a year or so ago? He's a guy who's going to get mm-hmm. to the quarterback. It's going to be with effort. He's not Von Miller. He's not going to blow past a, a tackle. But he's a guy who's relentless enough that if you are if you get a little bit of decent coverage from your secondary, he'll get to the quarterback. But, the, I mean, the writing is on the wall with Jordan Jenkins. He, he got a one-year deal after not really getting many offers. He may not have had any, for all we know. I've heard rumors of other teams, but uh, there was really no market for him. The Jets gave him a one-year deal to come back. And he's not played that well this year. And, I mean, I feel for the guy because, I, again, I think solid citizen, I think better player than he gets credit for. Not great, but still better than many people say. And he's on a terrible team again. And, you know, he, you, you could see it early in the year when he was saying, I'm tired of this shit, I'm tired of the excuses. I'm tired of the and it's only getting, yeah. yeah, it's only getting worse, man. It's, it's, it, this is the worst it's been. And it's time. I, you no know what? Since he said that. So. I, I think I think he – I. Like I said, there's not much market for him. I think he would just wait out. Even if the Jets said, we'll bring you back on a one-year deal and no one else offered anything, I wouldn't be surprised if he was like, look, I'm just going to wait at home, see if somebody calls. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll wait for the phone to ring Might if somebody well. gets an injury. Yeah, I, don't I mean, know if you, I don't know how the time zones are uh, over where you are, but um, last night's game, I mean, you saw Ja'Kai Polite making plays for the Rams. So anything's possible once you leave the Jets' defense or offense just once you leave, the, the, the options seem to multiply for players. So I would like to see so him you, go somewhere you, if he does leave. I would like to see him you go did somewhere break up there, productive, but who, who did you say was making plays? sorry. You broke up. Oh, no, I'm just saying that um, you, you would like uh, Jordan Jenkins to be making plays, but at the same time, you also want him to be successful if he does inevitably leave the, Jet, leave the Jets this season if they're not happy with his performance you want him to be successful elsewhere and it seems like a lot of players get that opportunity once they do leave the Jets so you kind of hope for him to turn it around maybe he does wait at home but uh like I said you saw Ja'Kai Polite making plays last night for the Rams that's who it was oh that's okay <laughs> Ja'Kai Polite I actually looked earlier uh yesterday was his the uh the highest snap count he's had uh with the Rams because he's been playing sort of one two three snaps a game I think he played yeah. 15 snaps last night um, Somebody was tweeting he was making plays that I, I wasn't tuning in at the time, but I saw the tweet and I had to go look and see for myself. And there he was on the edge. 
he wasn't doing too much when I saw him, but he was out there. Yeah, like he's out there. He had 15 snaps. He had a sack in his first game. Um, or maybe the pressure, I forget. I know he's got a sack this year. He's got a sack. He's got like four or five QB hits or QB pressures. And um, this is a guy that the Jets had no, you know, no use for. And now it looks like he's breaking in with one of the uh, one of the best front sevens in the NFL. So yeah. it's going to be, uh, you know, he, is he going to be another guy that the Jets didn't have the time of day for who turns out to be uh, a superstar or even just a good player? But uh, you know who you should have time of day for? Mile Social. Jet Nation Radio would like to thank our sponsor, Mile Social. If you need help managing all the social media platforms for your business, check out milesocial.com. That's M-I-L-E social. Milesocial.com. Whether it's your Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever it may be, Mile Social has got you covered. That's M-I-L-E social.com. All right. So one thing we didn't touch on yet, uh, Dylan, and I don't, I don't know how I feel about it. You saw it. We discussed it very briefly before uh, coming on the air or on Twitter, wherever I forget. Uh, Manish Mehta says Quinnen Williams is being shopped. Rich Samini, Brian Costello, and Connor Hughes say no, he isn't. What Almost are your thoughts? Almost immediately say no, he isn't. <laughs> yeah, well, Sorry. you know, my thing is, is this another Jamal scenario where the Jets are fielding calls so they have plausible deniability, and they say, "No, no, we're not, we're not shopping him." But they're working on, uh, you know, they could be bouncing some offers back and forth between teams that are interested. Because listen, um, as we know, what was it? I believe it was Rappaport Schefter, one of them, tweeted out last year at the deadline that teams were offering the Jets multiple impressive trade packages in order to get Quinn and Williams away from the Jets, and Joe Douglas did not bite. It would be hard for me to believe that after doing that last year, um, he would consider moving him this year when you consider the fact that he's playing really well. Uh, had an, Again, had another sack the other day. He'll probably finish the year with six, seven, eight sacks, which for an interior D lineman on a team with no secondary is not all that bad. And he's one of the top run stuffers in the league. And he's still only 22 years old. That's the other thing. Quinn Williams is 22. He's still a super young guy. And he's already playing at a very high level. He is a future all-pro, in my opinion. But if you're the Jets, are you taking calls? Do you say we're 0-7? Listen, you want to give me a 1 and a 2 and a 3? We'll take it. Or do you say I need a couple of 1s? Or do you say, listen, go talk to somebody else. I got to keep some of my good players. I think as much as anybody likes Quinn and Williams, and I've been in the Quinn camp since day one, I think if you're Joe Douglas, it'd be foolish to not take calls. I mean, he's clearly your best player on defense right now. He's not even playing the the snap count that you would want him to be. You said 55 to 65 is about his range for the season as far as percentage of snaps. And any team that is a contender could look at that and say, hey, we could put him out on the field 75 to 80% of the time and get 1.5 times the production out of this kid. Plus we're surrounding him with better talent, most likely. And I think this guy would be the limit as far as trade potential for him. But at the same time, unless you're absolutely blown away by the offers, Joe Douglas should keep Quinn and Williams last year. It, that rumor did come out that they were, you know, some pretty hefty offers on the table that were denied. I'm not quite sure if those exact packages will come back this year despite him playing better, strictly because they know the state of the team. They know that we're willing to accept a little bit less <clears throat> to rebuild for the future. But I don't, think you, I don't think you are in a position to move him right now unless you are blown away. Yeah, I think that, um, as I said, you, you got to keep some of your guys. I mean, yes, the, the, you know, the, there, are, there might be – you might be able to count on one hand and on – the number of guys who should be absolutely untouchable in the league. I mean, if, if, if a trade offer is right, a trade offer is right. Um, so yeah, of course you listen, you listen on anybody, but the thought that the jets are shopping, actively trying to trade Quinn and Williams, I'm not buying it. I guess, I think if teams want to call and make offers, fine, go right ahead. But if, and you know, I shouldn't even say this. I'll let me say the guys, I don't remember the guy's name. If I knew his name, I wouldn't say it. I don't like publicizing amazingly stupid stuff. 
Um, I saw, but this is like I saw this tweet and I thought, okay, this must be an idiot blogger like me or somebody. Um, this is somebody who worked for CBS Sports uh, and tweeted out the Jets would be smart to make a move if they can get a day three pick for Quinn and Williams. And I'm just like, holy Jesus! Like day three, they shouldn't wow. be moving him. They shouldn't be moving him for any less than a couple of ones. Uh, let alone yeah, exactly. they should be ha- they should be thrilled to get a six for a guy who they just took with the third pick who's already one of the, the premier interior D linemen in the NFL against the run and is probably, I mean, that's the frustrating thing. You know, you look at today's NFL and, and one thing I don't think defenses get enough credit for um, in terms of when they're not getting to the quarterback. And this isn't to make excuses for the jets. This is just across the board. Like nowadays quarterbacks just move so much better. You know, you put Quinn and Williams 10, mm-hmm. 12 years ago and he'd probably have nine sacks by now. But for, for every time he – I mean, he had a couple of really good games against Buffalo. Both games, he was, he was right there, you know, could have had a sack. Josh Allen can move. When you play Patrick Josh Mahomes Josh Allen next must week, not like he, Quinn and Williams because he's constantly running away from him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, you're going to see it next week with Pat Mahomes. Um, it, seem, it seems like, you oh, know, yeah. years ago you might have two or three guys on your schedule – they could they could move well enough to get away from the pass rush. Now it's now it's six, seven, eight, nine guys a year, you know. And I I, I look up and down the schedule every year, and you, you kind of forget. Like I find I find myself saying week after week, you know, Jets defenders are going to have have to work hard this week. They have a, a mobile quarterback, mobile quarterback, mobile quarterback. And I'm not saying I'm not saying Michael Vick or Lamar Jackson mobile. I'm saying guys who use their feet well enough to avoid and get away from pressure and still make a big throw. And there are more exactly. and more of those guys. So I think Quinn and Williams in the NFL 10, 12 years ago would be sitting on eight or nine sacks right now. Um, but because it's 2020 and all these guys move so well, he's got three. And, uh, yeah, but that's, again, that. he, yeah, he, he could still, you know, have himself a six to eight sack seat, which was kind of my, you know, my, my, what I wanted to see out of, what I wanted to see out of Quinn and Williams this year was sort of 50, 55 plus tackles and seven plus sacks. And it, it looks like mm-hmm. he'll be in that neighborhood. So, you know, nice job by him. Nice job, really, by those guys on the interior. Um, and that brings us to, uh, I mean, I don't know. How much can we possibly talk? How much can you preview a football game where, in my mind, the only reason the Jets aren't going to lose this game by 50 is because Andy Reid is a good dude and he's probably going to take his foot off the gas at 30 and the Chiefs will probably still score a couple touchdowns on a tired, beaten, bad defense with a couple, spring a couple of big run plays. Um, it's, yeah, if the Chiefs played this game, played every snap like it mattered, the Jets lose this game by 50. Um, it's not even like, hey, let's talk about how the Jets can win. Let's talk, you can't even say, how can the Jets stay in this game? You know, the conversation needs to be, how mm-hmm. do the Jets lose by less than 30? is the conversation. How much fun is that? How do we get out of here with no injuries? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they shock the world and they go in and they only lose by three touchdowns. It's not, what the hell is the point? Um, There's not breakdown analysis. Yes. It's kind of going to be the same thing. I think for me, for the rest of the season, look at five, six, seven guys who I would like to see develop, who I'll be focusing on. You know, the, the, like, like you said, the article I wrote earlier, you know, I want to see Franklin Myers. I want to see Quinn. And I want to see Beckton. I want to see Mims. I want to see Perriman. Listen, Perriman's not putting up big numbers, but he's getting open. So fans, you know, who, who are just watching the broadcast, who are just following the football, who only follow fantasy football, they're looking at Perriman right now like he sucks, he's garbage, why do we sign this guy? And I'm looking at him thinking, he's beating some pretty good corners one-on-one, yep. and uh, that's not a bad thing. So if the quarterback can get his damn head on straight, and, and God forbid the, uh, the, the, the coaches start calling for some downfield throws. I want to see Perriman Mims. They, they have the ability to be an interesting duo moving forward. Um, so there are a few guys that I'm going to watch. I would love to see. I mean, give me Blake Cashman. I know. Let's see if the guy can stay healthy. We've seen enough from Avery Williams. Yeah, I, saw, I, I saw a stat on him. He's been targeted 24 times, was it? 26 times in coverage this year, 24 completions. Like, enough. Avery Williams, look, yeah, listen, it's, 
it's soft ahead, zone. That's just it's. I'm sorry. It's just soft zone that's eating Avery Williamson alive. He he drops back too far almost every time, and in in that like midfield zone type coverage, and it's an underneath route every time right in front of him, and it inflates his tackles. And you know, great, he's our leading tackler every week, but that's not good considering they're not run stuffs. They're not you know tackles for losses. They're just tackles because he let the guy catch the ball. And that's really all it is. And going back to Blake Cashman, yeah, absolutely. Let him see the field more. I think this last game alone, Hewitt was on the field 100% of the snaps, but Avery Williamson missed two snaps, I believe. I think he was on the field for 72 of the 74 snaps. So yeah, I, I, I think that that's just silly. If you have somebody like a Cashman, I mean, I'm excited to see uh, Patrick Owasor come back when he's healthy. I think Avery's kind of going to be pushed to the bench when that happens. But I would love to see Cashman, at least in some capacity. But it's kind of hard to take Hewitt off the field. So Avery kind of becomes that guy that is the odd man out once you have Cashman and Hewitt all playing. And if they're all playing well, Avery's the odd man out. So Now, not, not to get too far ahead, Dylan. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm looking at the Jets' schedule, right? <clears throat> and we're talking about 0-16 this, 0-16 that. The only the only games that worry me, because the Jets aren't beating the Chiefs. The Jets aren't beating the Chargers. The Jets aren't beating the Raiders. The Jets aren't beating the Rams. Aaron Donald against this interior, that's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> the Jets aren't beating the Browns. The Jets are going to get battered by the Seahawks. So yep. the only two teams I look at on the schedule – and really, the Dolphins, they kind of feel like – I saw something the other day that they're not going to Tua for developmental purposes. The Dolphins feel like they're playing well, and they think Tua's better than Fitz. So it's not like, all right, I let's take it. our lumps with the rookie. They're saying, right. we're playing pretty good, and we think this guy's we're an upgrade. Three, we can compete. Yeah. yeah. But this New England Patriots. I knew you were going to say it. Jared's quarterback. I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I've heard people say Belichick is gonna lose a game on purpose to screw the Jets. I'm not gonna. I don't think that would happen. But if if you play the Pats in a couple weeks and Jared Stidham as that court is that quarterback, and let, let's just say hypothetically, I mean, listen, fan, we can want the Jets to go 0 and 16 all we want, and I don't know about you, Dylan, but I'm one of these guys who I'm like, yeah, go 0 and 16. And then kick off on Sundays, I'm um, screaming like I want them to win by 100. I can't actively root for them to lose. Me. During the game, I cannot me. root for them to lose. Once the game's over, they're like, seat. good. Yes. Yep. I'm jumping out of my I'm seat screaming. in the first quarter. Like, I'm, I'm yelling at my dog. wife. I'm like, no, I can I'm not, watch I this film. Like, you're excited yeah. to watch this team. Like, you, you, you want to see you someone make hope. a damn play. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you smiled for the first time all season in the first quarter. And then I, I, I said, kind of sat, I, I said, if you're not, you if you're not there smiling quiet. every time Denzel Mims catches a football, then you're dead inside. You know, yeah, exactly. finally something from one of these rookies. We have but life. Listen, yep. Yeah. But if you're the Patriots and, or if you're the Jets, so like, this is what I was saying. We can want the, the Jets to go 0-16 or 1-15, whatever, to, to get the first pick. You can want that all you want. The players don't want that. The players yeah. – they, they're not in a big hurry to get their replacement drafted. Like, guys want to win. And to, to, I, this is the one thing I would say about Adam Gase that I can give him credit for up until now. We'll see if that changes. This team is still playing hard for him, which is shocking. It, it really is. You can't take that away. That, that, that's amazing. Now, will that continue? I even saw play? Avery Williamson give uh, Adam Gase a high five after uh, – Castillo's first field goal attempt, even though it was just a field goal on that first drive, they panned over to Gates and, and Avery Williamson was giving him a high five. Like, yeah, they were excited. So, so guys are still playing hard. So if you're the Jets in two weeks, first of all, you're going to be coming off a 30, 40, 50 point loss to the Chiefs. And you're going to be looking at the schedule and saying, we've got New England. We've got New England. And they have Jared Stidham starting. I'm assuming Stidham starting. Even if it's Cam. Cam's not playing that well right now. If you're right. like I said earlier, if you're Quinn and Williams and John Franklin, John Franklin Myers, and and Greg Williams looks at you and says, "Listen, 
Cam doesn't move like he used to. You guys playing well gives us a chance to stay in this game and make a couple plays. And now there's talk of the Patriots trading Devin McCourtney. If that were to happen, and you have a healthy Mims, and you have a healthy Perriman, and Becton is still healthy and playing, and maybe, you know, again, whether it's Alex Lewis or Cam Clark, you're going to be better at left guard than you were last week. Could the Jets steal a win against the Patriots and screw up their draft position? I think that statement right there, that question, is the epitome of 2020 when you look at the Jets' schedule and say, hey, the New England Patriots probably give us the best chance for victory going forward in a winless season nonetheless. Um, I think you'll lose all those games to the other teams based off talent alone. Um, but I don't, I don't even think the Jets can steal a win from the Patriots because – and that alone will be enough to make the Patriots come away with a victory. And I don't think Bill Belichick is going to be – as potentially as nice as Andy Reid might be this weekend. If Andy Reid lets off the gas a little bit, throws Chad Henney in there to start the second half, we can hope. Um, I don't think uh, Bill Belichick would do that, even if it's a, a blowout. If Cam's playing well all of a sudden, I don't think he lets his foot off the gas against the Jets for a second. Um, so I think it'll come down to coaching in that game because I think we have the talent to finally beat them in the, the state that they're in. But coaching alone, I don't think, can, can solidify a victory for me. Yeah, I, I, think, I, think that's the, I think the X factor is the Patriots. And I, you know, I haven't watched any of them this year. I don't know how their interior offensive line is playing. But Jesus, I think Cooney just got hurt, actually. Could you see Quinn and Williams getting a couple, like a couple of strip sacks? Somebody runs one back for a touchdown. Um, yeah, absolutely. That, I mean, Jesus. That, that again, it's it's crazy to say it, but that the New England Patriots are are the softest game left on the schedule, and but none of those other games, they're they're not winning any of those games. I mean, it's uh, no, I I thought maybe the Raiders uh, before the season started, and I was looking like way ahead and just trying to predict things here and right, there, right? Because I personally had them in the five to seven to eight and eight range, or five and eleven to eight and eight range, rather. Um, as far as win totals this year. And, boy, I mean, even the 5-11 and 11 is just way off because the Raiders came out hot, and they're just going to run us into the dirt. I know we've, we're susceptible to the long runs here and there, and we also look good against the run here and there, but Josh Jacobs is going to run all over us. So it's very tough schedule and trying to find a little bit of optimism. Yeah, I think uh, – I don't know. It, it's, it's bizarro world, as they say that this is the position of Jets are in where they're – Yeah, exactly. That, mm-hmm. would be, that would be the most 2020 thing is if the Jets don't get the number one overall pick because they beat the Patriots. I mean, listen. Can you think, imagine I, going 2-14, and 14, beating the Patriots twice, and oh, somehow a one-win team gets the first overall pick? Oh, my goodness. That would be a big troll be... job by Bill, Je- Bill Belichick, I believe. <laughs> it, it would, but you know, you know what, though? I will say this. I, I would, the reason I wouldn't hate that outcome – because I think at that point you have to stick with Darnold if you haven't traded him yet. I think hopefully he can be fixed the way Ryan Tannehill was. And then, uh, and then you take Sewell to play opposite Becton, and you start building uh, what could be the greatest, you know, the best offensive line in the NFL if those are your two starting points. So it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Um, I, I can't think of the last time the Jets drafted back-to-back offensive players in the first round. Oh God, that ha- that have to be something I have to look up. But it, it seems like it's been a long time, probably since we had multiple first round picks <laughs> in the yeah, same year. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, maybe you maybe the brick and man gold in the same in the same first that's round. Probably it. Yep. But let's see. What, let's not let's, even back to back years. Yeah, I want to see. I'm going to try to look that up. I'm going to let's go because I, I think we've covered just because about everything point, we're going to cover. Right. I was going to say at this point it's a hundred percent in the draft, regardless of what position the Jets fall into, one, two, three, four, five, depending. I mean, it's offense, right? There's no chance you take an edge rusher, a cornerback. Well, that, Do you that's see the, it? That's I mean, the thing I wouldn't – that's the thing I <clears> – I think <clears> – excuse me. I think if there's an edge rusher on the table, you can't take – you can't rule that out. But that's the only other position you can't rule right. out. Right. Gregory Rousseau from uh, – oh, jeez. Miami. Miami. I 
he Ramp, opted out. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, he's the one that people keep. Uh, they, well, early on in the season, they had the Jets mocked him at fifth <laughs> overall or something like that. But that was when expectations for this team were a bit higher. Right now, okay. So if we if we include the 2000 draft when they had four first rounders, um, that would be 2000 and 2000. Oh no, here we go. Okay, so 99. So 1999, they took – oh, but that's not a first round. It's their first pick, but not a first round pick. In 99, they went with Randy Thomas with their first pick, uh, who was a damn good player. They had the four first rounders the following year, two of which were Chad Pennington and Anthony Beck. Um, and then the following year, they went with Santana Moss. And then and Lamont okay. Jordan. Wow, they went three straight offensive guys. Moss, Lamont with Jordan, Kareem McKenzie. What's that? Yep. With, oh, you're saying that draft, they went three offensive in a row that same year. Yeah, yeah. And three so in a row. Three, three years in a row getting offensive players with their first selection, not necessarily yeah, first now, round. That, that's then. what I want to look for next. I want to see when was the last time they took back-to-back offensive guys with their first pick. And uh, we may have to go back to – yeah, okay, so 95, Kyle Brady, 96, Keyshawn Johnson. So it's been that long since they went. Out. Yeah, well, Keyshawn, listen, Brady was a bust. Keyshawn shot his way out of town just like just like Jamal did. That's, yeah. And, you know, that's, that's the troubling trend with the Jets. And I thought that with Jamal when it, when it was becoming clearer and clearer that he was going to be shipped out. I thought, Jesus, like, this, I've been following this team for a million years. Um, and any time they hit on a first rounder, it's a disaster. Whether it's, it's Keyshawn hard to keep them in the or... Building, yeah or Darrell Revis, or Jamal Adams. Um, and, and, of course, the guy they re-signed is Muhammad Wilkerson. You know what I mean? Like, Jesus. Uh, yep. You, just, you can't make this stuff up. You know, and he, here's the hoping that somebody on the roster now uh, brings an end to that, that misery with the first-round failures and, and, and guys shooting their way out of town. Um, yeah, always fun to scroll through the draft history uh, – with a couple of drinks and cry yourself to sleep because it really is. I was just, gonna say fun is the the selective word there. <laughs> yeah, it re- it's it's just something else. But uh, I think that uh, oh, I, I was just about to sign off and uh, I was about to say we're done for the night. But we have a caller. Let's go to the phones real quick and see who's with us. Caller nine seven three area code. What do you got? Hey, how are you? Well, look, I mean, the Jets have had you know. They've had a few opportunities there, but they let it get away. I mean, they had their chances to win some games, but yet it just doesn't seem like – I think Gaze is, you know I – mean, All right, so uh, we cut that one short because I couldn't understand a word that person was saying. So uh, let's well, see, yeah. Yeah, were you able to understand that, Dylan? Uh, it, bits and pieces came in. It was it was hard. I think I understood yeah, Gaze, but – yeah, and I I think I heard Gates and Buffalo, and that was about it. So uh, that's it. Yeah. That's it for that call. But uh, listen, that'll wrap things up for us this week. The Jets are going to uh, get the doors blown off this Sunday. It's going to be uh, a four. Uh, <laughs> oh boy, because <laughs> I think because I think Andy Reid is a good man. I think this is going to be a uh, a. Did the Jets score a touchdown this week? Run. Yep. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say 34-6 Kansas City. What do you got, Dylan? I got 49-12. to 12. I had 49-13, to 13, but you just convinced me that we're not going to score a touchdown. So 49-12. to 12. Castillo gets four or Ficken, whoever's kicking. I kind of <laughs> like I kind of like Castillo, but we'll see. 49-12 to 12, if they bench yeah. their homes a half. Well, one more thing, though, before we go, actually, and that I wanted to touch on. Just take a second here. Why I haven't the Jets been able to throw a screen pass for, for like, 10 years? Ugh, I mean, both I'm, what, I'm watching – I'm watching 9, 10, 11, 12-man, 13. Buffalo sending 15 defenders on the blitz. Every single yep. time the Jets have success with a blitz and they run it like, you know, when you see it three or four times – out of five or six, like when it becomes frequent, you see the other team throw a screen, pick up 17 yards, and then you got to back off a little bit. The Jets, yep. non-existent. Nobody respects us. They don't try yep. it. When they try it, they can't execute it, and it's been this way forever. As I said the other day, they had a decent screen game with Chan Gailey, his first year under Todd Bowles. Before mm-hmm. the, <laughs> the years before that, the years since that, 
And what makes it so frustrating is you're in the same division with the damn Patriots who every single time they have a third and three, they throw a screen, you know it's coming, and they pick up nine yards every damn time. Just can't do it. Can't, it's it's infuriating. I'm watching this game, watching Sam Donald get killed, watching ten guy jail breaks, and I'm thinking, are you going to throw a screen? A little bubble screen so here, they, a little little so wide receiver screen there, a pass screen. Yeah, Something. you see the Chiefs. I, I I guarantee the Chiefs this weekend they're going to run that. Uh, it's a double play action. They'll run it. He'll Mahomes will pump fake it one way, pump fake it the other way, and Travis Kelsey will be right in the middle of the offensive line waiting for a little pass. And they're going to run that type of screen pass on the Jets numerous times. I want to say that they're going to run over 10 screen passes next week or this week, and the Jets might run one. Yep, Avery Williams is going to get eaten up. And uh, mm-hmm. I do want to say I think Le'Veon Bell is going to go for 150 yards from scrimmage uh, combined receiving and rushing. Absolutely. All right, Dylan, thanks again for joining us. Uh, hopefully Alex back and uh, have his situation sorted out in the next couple of weeks. And we'll keep having you on as a regular, Dylan. Much appreciated. Have a great night, Jets fans. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23. And Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets.